Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. That is the sound, the opening strains from Miracle on 34th Street, which signals another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, 15 minutes after 12 o'clock, and it is YSO's pleasure to welcome to the studio George Williman, the film archivist for the Library of Congress Nitrate Division, and then some. George, welcome. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, by special, sort of uh, long extension cord, J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for the Cohen Brothers, is speaking with us today from L.A. J. Todd. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, but it's uh, beautiful and sunny there as we're ready for Christmas. Thanks for uh, t- touching base with us today. And uh, we're all here for the special purpose of reviewing Miracle on 34th Street. So what in the world are you doing in L.A., J. Todd? I am working for George Clooney on a movie called Leatherhead. It's about football in the 1920s. So we can look forward to that on the filmic, that, by filmically. Next Christmas. By yeah. next Christmas, is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I run there. Yeah, so, uh, well, thanks for, uh, for taking time out on this day. We are gathered here on uh, what might be some snow in the Miami Valley this evening, a perfect time to take a look at some of the best Christmas movies that uh, Hollywood has to offer. Gentlemen, uh, this l- is one of our perfect films. Yeah. One of, on, one, on our list, yes. Um, and uh, this movie seems to stand the test of time, no matter what happens. Yeah, this is one of those uh, Christmas movies that really has, I guess what you'd call legs, uh, that just keeps growing and growing in stature, even though it has been remade uh, five times. Um, the original they one... They never quite get it right like they did the first time. No, no. It, it was one of those things that worked... Except the... for the fact that Sebastian Cabot played Santa Claus in one of them. <laughs> and I really like that. Mr. Who does Mr. seem like a natural-born <laughs> Santa, I have to say. Yeah, because Evan Gwynn's good, but he isn't the heavy-duty Santa Claus that we've, you know... He, Santa Claus has to be a fat guy. <laughs> so um, he has to be jolly and round. I'm jolly. And, and, and Sebastian Cabot was really jolly and round. Not that Evan Gwynn wasn't jolly. He just wasn't... You know, he was a very slender Santa Claus in that movie. Um, but he was very dignified, and he had a very. great beard, and, and a real beard, you know. And uh, so didn't Sebastian Cabot. But the original movie is is still, by far, the best representation of this work. Don't you think, George? I, I highly agree. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, the the team that that created George Seaton and, and Valentine Davies, the director and writer of the story, who were who were really good friends. Uh, and Valentine Davies took this story directly to Seaton, who immediately fell in love with it. So there was that connection right from the beginning. Well, clearly it has a, a legs and then some. Let's take a second to review how it is. This is not just willy-nilly. This is not capricious. There are definite set rules and criteria that uh, tell us exactly what qualifies for a perfect movie. Well, first, a perfect movie creates the world that it exists in. Yes, it is, and, and our perfect movies wholly sustain that world. You know, the, our list of perfect movies, uh, not numerically rated, wholly sustain that world. Right, and regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. Yes, and they are never, never listed in a preferential order, meaning number 16 is much better than, 
you know, number 18. We don't do that. Uh, these are all perfect in their own scale, and they have achieved the status of being perfect. We like, I like to think of it as that they're competing against themselves. They are their own sort of uh, own bar. They don't have, yeah, they're art, man. They no. don't have to compete. Um, You're listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and on this day we're speaking with J. Todd Anderson and George Williman about Miracle on 34th Street, which has made this list, the few, the proud, yeah. the, the very good movies. And let's talk a minute about the, uh, the scene that is set here, this, this world that it creates and wholly inhabits, and a little bit of uh, the action. Well, first of all, one of the most unusual aspects of this movie, and it's, it, it kind of falls uh, the way a lot of our movies do, is you know they open and they're not really big opening box office releases. And this one was released in June of 1947. In June, June. <laughs> right. this Christmas movie. Yeah, so they immediately had the problem of promoting a Christmas movie <laughs> without mentioning that it's a Christmas movie. Um, and, and how can you? I mean, you can't. I can't well, imagine it, there's scarcely if, a scene in it. If you see the trailer and the posters for it from the time, Edmund Gwynn is way, 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 way in the background, and it's big pictures of Maureen O'Hara and John Payne, and they push it as this wonderful love story. And, you know, and the whole Christmas angle and the, the idea that it takes place during the Christmas season and has anything to do with Santa Claus is completely obscured from any of the artwork and posters of that time. Yeah, and the, and the, the season is is so so obvious. I mean, they're they're right there at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's right. You know, and uh, that's not exactly a June event. You know. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you know, they're going to like barbecues and things like that. Hey, uh, what about that Thanksgiving Day parade in uh, Miracle on 34th Street? You know. Well, and what I've heard about the about it being released in June, I think a lot of it was just pure economics. You know, Fox had this finished product, and they didn't want to just like stash it on the shelf for six months. And I know that Zanuck, I guess, was not big on fantasy, so this film fell way below what he expected. So he was just expecting to come out, you know, dump it June, let's get it over with. It got in the theaters, and at least and in at least one theater in New York, it ran until Christmas. Yeah, that's pretty good. And, and you know, they thought that was good, and now it's still around 60 years it's later. It's still around. That's really got legs, man. That thing is, uh, it's really ticking along. I remember seeing it as a kid, and it had a it had a real sort of, you know, struck a chord with me. I remember almost being a little girl, the little incredulous skeptic, you know, and uh, and, and then watching it recently again in, in preparation for this show. It's just delightful. I think gr- little girls even now can relate to Natalie Wood and her situation, you know, that you know, in this movie. In one of her first roles, it must have been. Uh, yeah. yeah, very, very early. One of her first starring roles. She'd been in before France. she was the saucy vixen in yeah. Rebel Without a Cause. <laughs> mm. And for what I understand, when she was shooting this film, she was also shooting two other movies at the exact same time, playing three different characters. One of which she had to affect a British accent. So that's a lot of weight to put on an eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, George. Yeah. Um, why don't you do? Um a little synopsis of this film for those who haven't seen it. If you haven't okay. seen it, for maybe do five, it Walter ten Winchell people. style. Walter George Winchell. is going to do a three-minute synopsis, Walter <laughs> Winchell style. All right, here you go. George doing Walter Winchell. <laughs> Flash, ladies and gentlemen, Santa Claus has been uh, taken to court and is going to be tried for insanity. Yes, this uh, gentleman who who took the part of the, the Santa Claus in the Macy's Parade this year has been brought up on charges of insanity. What will be the outcome? I think that's basically it, really. I think that covers it. <laughs> what will be the outcome? <laughs> Flash. Well, you know, that's kind of the theme of this picture, man. You don't pick on Santa Claus. 
You just don't do it. Um, I'll tell you. you don't no. say that he's not real because you're in real hot water if well, you're doing that. I think that we found out actually that it, it, Santa Claus did play Santa in this. I mean, they well, actually got yeah, Santa Claus. I mean, that's, to that's play one of the things I see Santa. about it is that that Edmund Gwen. I mean, the reason he's so good is that he he is Santa Claus. He truly is. Um, Edmund Gwen was just his stage name, and you know, and he came out and he did this this piece. Um, it's really amazing. There's a little, a great little um, section in here. This movie deals with uh, skeptics. The child is a skeptic. Mm-hmm. The court is a skeptic. You know, is the this mother. Santa Claus? <clears throat> the mother, <clears throat> is it really real? And then even uh, with Santa Claus himself and his sort of disillusionment and what uh, Christmas has become, let's hear a little bit about uh, his thought on Macy's asking him to push the toys that they've bought too many of. Okie doke. Imagine making a child take something it doesn't want just because he bought too many of the wrong toys. That's what I've been fighting against for years, the way they commercialize Christmas. Yeah, there's a lot of badisms floating around this world, but one of the worst is commercialism. Make a buck, make a buck. Even in Brooklyn, it's the same. Don't care what Christmas stands for. Just make a buck, make a buck. Make a buck, make a buck. Isn't that funny? That time of year, isn't it? So that's 1947, some 60 years, and I... I always imagined that, that bygone eras were so much more pure and innocent and that it's really just, just our evil time that it's become so commercialized, but well, not true at all. I mean, remember, this is, this is 1947. World War II has just ended, and there's a lot of people's, you know, who, yes, before World War II would have, you know, been a much, had a much gentler viewpoint of the world are now very hard cynics because of what they've seen during the war. A lot of action movies coming out about that time, you know. Right. Also, the rise of the film noir, uh, which which Fox really got into. I mean, Fox, yeah, Fox had some, did some good noir uh, films. House on Ninety Second Street, uh, Laura, all come from this era, and and things like T Man. All you come from. They, uh, do you think the, hmm? the writers were having a, a noir version of uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there is that would of, be so great. I tell you what, there is kind of an interesting connection. Um, Fox had gotten into uh, in this same year. The idea of actually going back and, and trying to shoot things, a lot of things, on location. They'd done it with a house on uh, 92nd Street. Oh, well, I wanted to ask you about that, the yes. opening scene from this movie. In the opening scene of the movie, it is the actual 1946 uh, Macy's Parade, and Edmund Gwen did play Santa Claus in the parade that year. Oh, they so you talk about realism. Yeah, they didn't announce it or anything. The day after, they mentioned the paper. Did he really replace the drunken Santa Claus? <laughs> yes, he really replaced the drunken Santa Claus. This guy had fallen out of his sleigh drunk, and then Edmund Gwynn replaces him in yep. the movie. Do you think that was an actual, like, um, uh, realistic kind of scene that they just snuck up and photographed, you know? Doubt that. That, I think, might have been created. But, <laughs> but I wondered about that. And yeah. Even the opening scene where you're following uh, the Santa Claus character in uh, in his civilian clothing yep. down the street, and I wondered if that's a... Did they stage these people to walk by? Or are these prop um, people? Or, some, or are they the, really walking down the street? I would say in some of those scenes... Mm, they might be staged, but uh, I know that all the parade scenes are real. They had a really hard time shooting it because they couldn't go back and do retakes. They had like 14 cameras set up on the parade route. And then Macy's let them shoot inside the store. Yeah, and the store um, really and there's some great, real. There's some great production photos of these just enormous uh, you know, uh, I wonder how lights. many people watch this movie now and wonder if that was the real Mr. Macy, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you'd be tempted you know, Macy's to. Macy's is still around, and they're always advertising, and I wonder, 
You know, there's such a big tie-in to Macy's, even in that movie, and they show it every year at Christmas time. You see it. You always see that movie flicker up in black and white, and there's Mr. Macy, you know, wanting more sales and, and you know, sticking up for Edwin Gwynn, and there he is, you know. So, you suppose they took an oil painting of the guy that played Mr. Macy and stuck it in the store at one point, you know? Our mm-hmm. It's highly possible. <laughs> Because yeah, because by that time Macy's was owned by the Strauss family. There were no actual. Didn't what? What did you say, George? Didn't Macy die uh, in in a? What? What, how, what was his story? Um, May, the man Macy, whose name is on the store, I don't know much about him. I know that by like 1912, it had uh, been bought out by the Strauss family, and and Mr. and Mrs. Strauss were two of the victims of the Titanic sinking. Uh, yeah, but I don't know anything. I don't know much about Macy himself. There was an R.H. Macy he founded the store, but he sold it off to the Strausses. Well, he lives in our mind sixty years later. Absolutely, I have to say I wholeheartedly agree with your assessment of this as a filmically perfect presentation. Indeed, we're speaking with George Williman, the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress, and also J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist who's out in L.A. speaking to us by telephone today, working with George Clooney even as we speak. Virtually, you're probably going to hang up the phone and continue drawing, aren't you? No, I have a radio show to do. That's right. <laughs> Listen, I have. Um, so we've set the scene here in this filmically perfect movie. We have. Yeah, you're taking time out to do your radio show. It's very, very nice. It's all, uh, all. Are you kidding? Movie. We have to make. We have to create awareness for perfect movies. That's right. <laughs> know what we're about. George has his elf ear on. He has his elf ears on. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and and we're just doing this Christmas thing. You know, we got to make sure people understand that this is a perfect movie and they got to watch this. That's film. right. right and it is the season, too. We have a couple of uh, dialogue selections here. I like one in particular, which is uh, something of the prelude that sets up the saving of the day, if you will. It's when... Um, so in this scene, in this world that it creates, uh, uh, Santa Claus has been taken to task. He's being challenged. Is he really Santa, or is he just uh, an escaped uh, patient from the old folks' home who needs to be further committed into a mental ward? Well, as it turns out, there's one key uh, body of evidence, and it uh, is a uh, sort of a... And man, it is a Donnybrook uh, court scene. This is... This is a big deal in the movies. Well, this actually, we're going to talk about this a little bit from the uh, the mail clerk, who, as it turns out, is the same actor who played. He played uh, Grandpa in uh, Ch- uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Frank Albertson, really? yes. And he was also the man he in Chico man. and the Man. Correct. Well, he also saved the day. He <laughs> saved the day on Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Listen to this. Hey Lou, come here. Yeah. Hey, here's a new one. I seen him right at Santa Claus, North Pole, South Pole, and every other place. Here's a kid writes, Chris Kringle, New York County Courthouse. Can you beat that? The kid's right. Yeah. They got him on trial down there. He claims that he's Santa Claus, and the DA claims that he's nuts. Yeah, read it for yourself, right on the front page. Hey, uh... Hey, Lou, how many Santa Claus letters we got down at the dead letter office? I don't know. There must be about 50,000 of them. Bags and bags all over the joint, and there's more coming in every day. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, Lou. Yeah. Uh, it'd be kind of nice to get rid of them, wouldn't it, huh? Yeah, but... Hey, that's a wonderful idea, hey, I huh? mean, after all, why should we be bothered with all that stuff, huh? Why don't you get a couple of trucks up here, big ones, right away, load them with all that Santa Claus mail and deliver it to Mr. Kringle down at the courthouse. Let somebody else worry about it, huh? Hey, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell. 
Anyways, that that's part of what I see as the the miracle of Miracle on 34th Street is that these kind of questionable elements come together to to save to save Santa Claus basically because at the end of the trial um, the lawyer Fred Gailey played by John Payne has nothing he can find no authoritative physical evidence to prove that uh, Chris Kringle is indeed Santa Claus and uh, and earlier we have this little piece we're going to play here earlier the other element that helps out turns out to be a judge who is trying to save his career and here he speaks with his friend Charlie, the political boss, who's played by William Frawley, and the judge is uh, Gene Lockhart, and uh, and the political boss Charlie tells him why he can't find Santa Claus insane. I don't care what you do with old Whiskerpuss, but if you go back in there and rule that there's no Santa Claus, you better start looking for that chicken farm right now. Why we won't even be able to put you in the primaries? But Charlie, listen to reason. I'm a responsible judge. I I've taken an oath. How can I seriously rule that there is a Santa Claus? Why don't you look? All right. You go back and tell him that the New York State Supreme Court rules there's no Santa Claus. It's all over the papers. The kids read it and they don't hang up their stockings. Now, what happens to all the toys that are supposed to be in those stockings? Nobody buys them. The toy manufacturers are going to like that. So they have to lay off a lot of their employees, union employees. Now you got the CIO and the AFL against you, and they're going to adore you for it, and they're going to say it with votes. Oh, and the department stores are going to love you too, and the Christmas card makers, and the candy companies. Oh, Henry, you're going to be an awful popular fella. And what about the Salvation Army? Why, they got a Santa Claus on every corner, and they take in a fortune. But you go ahead, Henry. You do it your way. You go on back in there and tell them that you rule there's no Santa Claus. Go on. But if you do, remember this. You can count on getting just two votes, your own, and that district attorney's out there. The district attorney's a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Nice little little bow. Well, on I'll that. tell you, let that be a lesson to you, Republican Party. You know what happened? They did. That's what happened right there. The secrets in that movie. We're talking about Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and that just might be it. We've got J. Todd Anderson it. on the phone and George Willeman. around with Santa Claus, man. It is also interesting to note that in 1947, um, what Truman was president, right? Forty-seven. I believe yes, Who's yes, a, he was. One of our great Democratic presidents. Ah, you know. so, yeah. So, you'll remember, if you'll notice that voice, it's, it's Fred Mertz, you know? Yeah. That's right, yeah. William Frawley also played Fred Mertz. And for Mertz. those of you who really remember him, it's Bub <laughs> on My Three Sons. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, iconic in almost every way. We've been talking about Miracle on 34th Street, and I agree, gentlemen, filmically perfect, no question about it. It still has its valid points yes, in many, many ways, and it keeps growing in, in an un incredibly untimely fashion i mean it's just it's amazing and just, how this and just movie uh, uh, physically and and filmically it's just it's a beautifully shot and edited and it is great beautiful. music and good the story man good the story. stories do good and the, and using the i mean the, the, taking the extra time and effort to actually shoot in macy's department store and yeah. and down on the, the parade route was just 
quite a little quite bit of something. a bike honor or they're the old grand department stores like you know Reich's used to be downtown right. sure and, you know that you don't see that anymore Higby's which Higby's is in a Christmas story and yeah yeah because yeah. I used to I used to really like to bolt through Reich's around December just to see that place because <laughs> it reminded me of this movie you know? and, and yeah. it's true I mean the bygone era is a department stores but not just you know the notion of department stores but how really huge they loomed at Christmas That's to right. go down and watch those windows was you know the uh, well, highlight of the season it's a big deal you know yeah. um, this movie captures it all. You and, can. Uh, I'm sure you'll see it many, many, many times this year. It'll come up on the on the screen somewhere for you. Yep. And it's worth taking a moment and sitting down. It really is. Uh, we are talking about Miracle on 34th Street, and it is filmically perfect. If you'd like to listen to this, rehear it, or like share it with a friend, stop by <laughs> the website for uh, for filmic. Um, pardon me. For filmically perfect, we call it perfectmovie.net, or you can send an email, George, to filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Yeah, no, so we really like your suggestions on movies. We're getting some good ones, and uh, usually, um, you guys are the listeners are right on the right on the beat because it, the, most of the films you're suggesting are on our list. Um, Very cool. And uh, we like talking about them just as much as you like watching them. And it's it's so nice knowing that we are getting more people to think as we do. That's yes. very comforting. <laughs> Don't worry about the mind control, folks. That's you right. know, we, we will make the rules. We'll take care of you. All you have to do is say, it's a perfect, it's a perfect movie. movie. Yes. Stop by our website, wyso.org. Right there on the front page is a link to perfectmovie.net. Send an email to these amazing uh, theatrical brains. We call them J. Todd Anderson and George Willeman. It's filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We reviewed Miracle on 34th Street, and how absolutely lovely. George Willeman, thank you. You're quite welcome. J. Todd Anderson, thank you out in L.A. It is always my pleasure. And don't forget, next week, we're going to take a look at the darker side of Christmas with one of the one of our absolute favorites, Bob Clark's wonderful A Christmas Story. Yeah, boy, we really like this movie, man. I'll it's tell you. dark like we Not like it. Not a bad it. spot That's in right. that movie, and it is fun. So it don't is. shoot your eye out until after next Friday. Yeah. And keep listening. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.